morning. Grab your Bibles. That's my line, right? I'm, you know what? I'm not even sorry about that. Grab your Bible. It should start that way every time. I would think that should be the first words out of my mouth, but uh, grab your Bible. Turn to Daniel chapter 4, and we're going to jump straight into the Word today. I've been talking about um, a series on emotional well-being, emotional health, and what the Bible says about it, calling it Can't Help How I Feel. Uh, and addressing that, is that true? Can we, can we not help how we feel? Well, you can go back and look at what we talked about already, but today kind of brings us to the last one in this series, and then we'll get into Christmas for a minute. And uh, going into next year, we're going to be live in a location. So God has blessed us with a place, finally, and uh, we're excited about that. We'll share more about it. It's on University in Northwest Tempe, so we'll give you more details very soon. But um, that, that's a done deal, and we're pumped. But for now, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. Hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find us. Uh, you can contact us through social media, email, all that stuff, and we'll tell you where we're at. We are meeting currently in Tempe, and we'll tell you how to get there. So, um, but yeah, that's what's ahead. Anyway, we're working through this. Uh, can't help how I feel. And today, as we close this out, we're going to look at probably the most common, I think, struggle, uh, emotional struggle, and that's with pride. And I'm calling this dehumanizer, which is a pretty heavy statement, but there's different kinds of pride. There's different expressions of pride, no doubt. But at the core, pride is about self, right? Well, I think we would all agree that. It's not just accepting praise. It's something that's in your heart, whether you acknowledge it or not. It's in there. It's, it's a mother sin because it births other sins. It's a gateway sin because it opens the door to so many other sins. And the chief of which is idolatry. So it really paves the way into idolatry, making yourself an idol in a sense. But it's believing or accepting that you are your best chance. You are your best chance. You are making decisions that are in your best interest because you need to do what's best for you. And you are building your success. And again, now, uh, it's not about actions. It's about the heart. So because some actions in your best interest need to be done. Uh, they're important, they're necessary, but what we're talking about what's in the heart, something that's different, something that's in there that, that weighs out those decisions and those goals and those strategies uh, in a way that glorifies you. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 4, uh, verse 28 is where I'm going to jump in here and read, and then that's where we're going to land, looking at Daniel. So chapter 4, let's see, verse 28, that's on the next page, that's why I can't find it. Uh, here we go. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. I pray today that you're glorified by what we 
read in it, what we talk about in it, and that tonight, Lord, as we meet as a church, as those who come and gather with us tonight as the church, Lord, that we open your word to glorify you and what we discuss. Ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So many of you, probably if not all of you, know who Stephen Hawking is or, or certainly heard of him. He's a pretty famous professor who gained a PhD in applied mathematics and theoretical physics. He was a cosmologist focused on general relativity and a professor at Cambridge and infinite amount of things to look up if you want to study up on him. But he allowed for the existence of God as a scientist. He did allow for the existence of God. He just didn't believe in him per se. And he celebrated the accidental universe idea. That's what I'm calling it. Kind of the Big Bang idea. He he even disagreed with it a little, but kind of coming from the same idea that the the earth just was a, the universe is a, a happy accident that occurred. And he celebrates the great ability of mankind uh, through science. And in 1963, as you probably know, he developed ALS, uh, a disease that paralyzed him uh, over decades of time until he's into a wheelchair, ultimately losing the ability to speak and using a cheek muscle. One cheek muscle was able to communicate through a machine uh, for a pretty good while until 2018 when he died at the age of 76 after 50 years of ALS, all right? And, and he was honored for his high view of mankind, his high view of science, and his belief in humanity apart from deity. It's really where he was, a humanity that sprung forth from the accidental forces of nature, you could say. Now, I'm not saying that if he'd glorified God, he wouldn't have been in in a wheelchair, had some crippling disease. I'm not saying that because we could look at others. Like, for instance, Johnny Erickson Tata. You've heard me mention her before, but she's a woman who was bound most of her life in a wheelchair. She's in her 70s now. She had a swimming accident in her teen years that paralyzed her, and so she's been in a wheelchair for decades and decades. But as a believer, and she glorified God throughout all of what she's been through, and she's still alive, but never failing to see God as wonderful and amazing. So what's the difference here? Why, why note both of these? Well, in her case, you have somebody who is incredibly humble, and her joy, this is the point, her joy is in her creation as human, being made in God's image in order to glorify and celebrate him. Wheelchair or no wheelchair. He makes her human. He gives her inconceivable value, even in that wheelchair. He gives her human life, great purpose. This is something that is only accessed by humility before the Creator as his creation. Now, pridefully, on the other extreme, pridefully, you have Hawking, who found joy in humanity as ruler. And God, if he exists, as an observer, at best, to the achievements of mankind and the greatness of mankind. But a kingdom, listen to me, a kingdom of man without God is anything but human. A kingdom of man apart from God or without God is anything but human. It's actually an act of dehumanizing God's creation. You're going to see that today. And despite the best efforts to generate some value in, 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 in all of that, the fact of the matter is, if there's nothing beyond death anyway, then there's really no purpose in it for any of us. 
to be uncreated and without eternal purpose. So if you were not created by God, you just are a happy little accident that occurred from forces of nature. If you are uncreated, to be uncreated and without eternal purpose is to be dehumanized. Okay? To be dehumanized. God created them male and female. We'll look at that in a minute. Calling them man or human. We'll look at it in a minute. It's God who makes us human. To attempt to erase God and then place ourselves in his position is to take our humanity, listen to me, and make us like animals grazing in the fields, leading each other blindly in circles and ultimately dying without purpose. Pride is the great dehumanizer. It steals what it truly means to be human, created in the image of God. Honoring the honoring his image instead of ours. That's what it means to be human. And we typically get there the fastest when we believe in what we perceive to be the work of our own hands or the rights of our own position. It's usually how we get there quick. So here's, the, here's kind of the point that we're going to lay into as we study this. We were created as human beings. Listen to me. We were created as human beings to serve God by ruling over his creation, animals and land, and glorifying him through it. Key point. Glorifying him through it. But when we begin to believe that creation is our triumph, he's able to set us in the stable just as easily as we would set animals there. So the outline we're looking at is kind of uh, funny the way I've got it worded, but you'll see it. I am human, no need for God. I am animal because God made me so. Then I am human because God made me so. I am human, no need for God. I am animal, God made me so. I am human because God made me so. A little bit of lesson here that firsthand experience is going to tell us. So quick background really fast. Five centuries before Christ, Israel is conquered by Babylon. After three sieges and campaigns, it is totally laid waste. Even the temple is burned to the ground. And Nebuchadnezzar, who's king of Babylon, takes away the best of the best to be slaves in Babylon and leaves the scum of the earth to live on the raised land that's been demolished and and trashed. Uh, That's the quick, short version of it. 500 miles back to Babylon, he marches these uh quality people he would call to be slaves. Daniel is one of those, and Daniel is a boy at the time. And over the 70 years that they are exiled in Babylon, and Daniel grows from a teenage young teen boy up to uh, an adult and beyond, he gets favor with the king to the point that they become good friends, and he becomes uh you know a prophet to the king, this pagan king, right right up into his number two position. And a rare story unfolds in scripture where we see, listen to me, where we see a pagan king, a Gentile king, give his testimony in his own words. It's wild. That's what we're going to look at today. God's addressing this man through Daniel, and then we're allowed to see his path of salvation uh, by faith in this God of Israel. And we're he's shown visions. God communicates with Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel, shows him visions, gives him warnings. Uh, tells him what he's going to do, how God is going to build his own kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to be part of that. He makes all these things known. But the problem is Nebuchadnezzar credits himself initially for all of that. Is he is he wrong to do that? Didn't Babylon conquer? Didn't Babylon you know, rule the world? Didn't he build Babylon? Didn't he design Babylon? Now, of course he did, didn't he? 
And he's not a believer, so, you know, is it wrong for him to be that way with all of his accomplishments? Uh, I am human. No need for God. Watch where he goes. Notice the way chapter 4 begins, the way it starts. Chapter 4 begins, uh, first person, Nebuchadnezzar speaking right here. Pagan, Gentile king who writes a chapter of the Bible. I, Nebuchadnezzar, or King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and and languages. This is verse 1 I'm looking at. That dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Move my glasses. What made this pagan king say that? Like what made him claim this? What made him want to write this in his own words? What made it so powerful that Daniel included it in his writings directly from Nebuchadnezzar himself? Well, God had given Daniel a vision. You can read it in your own time. Or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar a vision here cautioning him about pride. And he tells us that in the chapter. I'm not going to read it. Uh, and he has this vision. Daniel comes and interprets it and warns him about this pride, that it is pride and he's going to fall if he doesn't check it off. Nebuchadnezzar is given a choice to respond in faith uh, or ignore it. And God literally waits a year because it says at the end of 12 months, he literally waits a year. Talk about mercy. Talk about patience. All right, so a year passes him knowing this warning about his pride. And in verse 28, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he's telling his own story, but he's, he's giving it to you as, a, as the way it works. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, it's, it's almost like when it says answered and said, it's almost like he was thinking to himself and he said, you know what? He says, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Think about that. I mean, he's not just talking about building a city and a residence here, like a, a, a place to live. It's, it's a residence. Look what it says. For his glory, he said. A place for his glory, like a temple. A place where he's celebrated and his royalty is regarded as glory and majesty. Listen to what he's saying. He's calling himself a human god. That's not terribly unusual. The Egyptians did it. The Pharaoh was considered a god. Uh, the Chinese emperor could be considered a god at times in history. Roman Caesar certainly was considered to be worshipped as a god. Um, but despite previous warnings... And clear words from the God of Israel in chapter 2. You can go back and look. In chapter 3, when he was telling Nebuchadnezzar that he was part of, that God, God was going to use Nebuchadnezzar as part of his own plan and his own kingdom. And now this warning about, hey, check yourself here. Despite all that, Nebuchadnezzar was convinced that his kingdom is the triumph of humanity. The wonder of the world. His own ability for his own glory. No need for God here. Unless he's looking to recognize me, Nebuchadnezzar, for my glory. That's right where he's coming from. And don't get too quick to hate here. Don't get too quick to hate here. What are the things in our life that if you're honest, you know God blessed you with. But it's part of my kingdom. And I want people to see I have it. I want people to know I have it. Some things, you know why? Because I worked hard for it. I saved a long time for it. 
Things you want others to see and give you respect for. You don't have to say it out loud. We're talking about hearts here, right? Notice it doesn't say anybody heard Nebuchadnezzar. It just says he said he was on his roof. He could have, but it's not about pride being on display here. It's about what was in his heart right there. And his mouth did actually speak it. But even if no one heard it, God did. That's the point. God did. And it says he was walking on his rooftop. That was a very common thing in the Middle East. The roof is like a back porch there. That's where people go to hang out and spend time. But it reminds me, it's reminiscent of another king who was on a rooftop, on his rooftop, surveying his kingdom and making a similar, uh, similar observation and uh, considering his, what all was his and part of his kingdom. Look in Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, this is David. It happened. It's just heavy, those two words. It happened. Late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He's the king, his own house. That he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now, there's a whole long story there. If you don't know it, you can go read it. But he's looking at his kingdom, and he's taking pride in what's his, even this subject, this woman. And though she's married to someone who's actually a great friend of his and a soldier, he takes her to be his. Am I saying, hey, don't walk on your roof? (laughs) No. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it's dangerous, especially when we're idle with our time, and we begin to survey what's ours. It's dangerous now when we start looking at what's ours. You're standing in your driveway staring at that car. A little bit too long. You know what I'm saying? I hope I hope neighbors are seeing this car. Man, I, I scrub it twice a week, three times a week. I'd scrub it every day. Laying on your couch and you're watching your 70-inch TV. You know, you're thinking, hey, you know what? I deserve this. All I do, for all I do, I deserve this. I deserve it. I need to get some dudes over and see this big old TV. Or you're sitting down at your new desk and then you're admiring all the hard work you did to get you there. Got me this promotion to this great spot. Everything I did, I worked hard for it. Or you're looking down at the employees that are beneath you at your job. Maybe it's the pool guy you hired and you're looking at him for a different reason. Maybe it's less obvious. Maybe you're considering your family that you've worked hard to build and to keep together and all that. And it's mine. And I want people to see how great my family is. Uh, Whatever it is, it's not about saying that it's wrong or those things all bad. Of course not. Remember, it's about the heart here. It's about celebrating what's yours. Unless it's in order to reflect on the fact that you can celebrate those things if you want to reflect on the fact that God's grace has given it to you. But but if you're honest and do that, you're going to realize that you didn't deserve it, and it's his anyway. But what about those who aren't believers? It doesn't matter for them, right? It doesn't matter for them. I mean, they, it is theirs because who cares? They're going to die with it anyway, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's wrong. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a true believer yet either here. He wasn't a true believer yet either here. The point is, it's God's whether you choose to recognize it or not. I don't care if you're a believer or unbeliever. It's God's whether you choose to recognize it or not. I am human. No need for God. God responds. And I'm going to say, I am animal because God made me so. Watch how God responds. 
While the words were still in the king's mouth, verse 31, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of, look what he says, not just yours, the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whoever he wants to. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. Now he was still the king throughout this whole process. So he he probably, when he says driven from men, he just wasn't in the presence of men. He'd probably been kept somewhere, uh, locked up or locked away. He would have still been fed. It doesn't mean he suddenly, his body changed and he survived on grass. It means he was mad and desired grass. They'd catch him out crazy in the yard trying to eat grass, that kind of thing. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, which means he was running around in the dark hours of the night, uh, naked, uh, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. It was matted and long, and his nails were like bird's claws, uncut, jagged. Uh, this, this man went crazy, to say the least. Uh, let me ask you a question. What do these world kingdoms have in common? Let me give you a few. Babylon, the one we're talking about. Uh, Egypt. Assyria. Persia, Greece, Rome, all world kingdoms. Not like the United States of America, not world power, world kingdom. They ruled the known world. I'll tell you what, they were all built on great man's dreams and great men's pride. And they are all fallen. I know Rome's still there, I know, but it's not a world power. They're all fallen. They're all fallen. God is able to humble all. All to give to who he will and to humble who he will, and he will humble all. Besides this moment with Nebuchadnezzar, I give you a great verse, you probably know it, Philippians 2 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Look, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, all of them will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is in fact Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even as believers, we want to argue about Jesus being Lord. And and you may be like, what? What are you talking about? Oh, sure. You can listen to how people try to explain what it takes to be saved. There's an argument running around now. Uh, John and I were just talking about this with Lordship salvation. And the argument is that, you know, can you be a Christian and not be a disciple. Or that Christ may save you, but for it to be genuine, you have to make him Lord of your life. That's the language, to make him Lord of your life. And as good as that sounds, guess what? If you're making him Lord of your life, then you are Lord of your life. You're certainly Lord of him because you're making him to do something. He is Lord of your life, my friend, whether you admit it or not. You don't have to acknowledge it. I can tell you right now, he is Lord He is Lord. He is Lord of Charles Manson's life. While Charles Manson was on the earth, and he's certainly Lord of him now, because every knee will bow and call him Lord, no matter what. Christ is Lord of all creation at all times, even angels and demons. What people fail to do is not make him Lord. They fail to surrender to him as Lord, to admit, as Paul did, that even as he's writing the book of Romans, Paul is saying, in me dwells no good thing. In chapter 7, verse 18, he says those very words. Rather than seeking achievements, listen to me, dying to self is the path to salvation. 
It's not about how what we do or what we assign or what we it's it's dying to self is the path to salvation. Jesus said it himself. You want to be my disciple? Take up a cross. Taking up a cross doesn't mean putting on some hard work. It means dying. People died on crosses. That's all they did. That's all that's the only purpose. Nebuchadnezzar had made these bold statements that sounded like genuine faith before. We'll look at them in a minute. Twice he'd made bold statements when God had done things in his life. But still now, here he is on this rooftop celebrating himself. Despite these statements about faith and about celebrating God, here he is celebrating self. And in a sense, God made Nebuchadnezzar feel the ugliness of his pride. The animal-like stubbornness of it. He had a year, and still he hung on to this. The beast that pride makes all of us, it makes us all that way. The foolishness of thinking that we are somehow above God in our accomplishments is like a mule trying to say he's above a man because he hauled a stone up a hill that a man is building a palace out of. It's absolutely humbling right here. You know, now you're not a king. Now you're not in charge. Now you're not even around people. Now you're not human. Now you're an animal. Because nothing was ever yours to begin with. And I can take it, God would say, just as easily as I gave it in a split second. God's not just punishing him here, though. He's teaching him something. He is equipping, equipping him. And most importantly, he's saving him. Watch this. I am human. No need for God. I am animal. God's made me so. But then I am human because God made me so. Watch this. At, at the end of the days, verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. His eyes are open now and he's looking up to heaven. These seven, these seven years are up. And my reason returned to me. And I, look at this. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion his kingdom endures from generations to generations all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven even even among the angels and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him what have you done nobody can stop him or question him he's not <laughs> nebuchadnezzar is not making jesus the lord of his life here he is recognizing that he is sovereignly Lord of all, including him. He's recognizing that God is absolutely sovereign. And that brings us to truly understand what it means to be created. If he's truly sovereign and he created everything and he rules over everything, then to be human is to be by design, with purpose. I mentioned it already, but look back in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, Then God said, very beginning, as he's creating everything, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them both. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his image subduing it, have dominion over it. goes on to say every living thing, have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is what being human is. 
It's being in the image of God. Being an object for drawing worship towards Him. That's what we're created to do. In a small comparison, it's like a cross in a church, okay? You know, it's it's a created object that it, when you see it, it immediately brings an image into your mind, Christ, right? And we don't worship that cross, but that cross bears an image and causes us to worship Jesus who was placed on it. To be human is to be created an image bearer of God. To be made that way, knowing that God is God of all. And it is His kingdom that we're caring for. It is His kingdom that we are put in charge of because He's building His kingdom through us for His glory. We bear His image. We're not Him. It's not something we're building for our own power, for our own glory. All right? Verse 36 of Daniel chapter 4. Let's finish it. At the same time, he says, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, the people I'm responsible for. That's what it means for the, for the people I'm responsible for as king. My majesty and splendor, his position, returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me out and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. That's grace. What he's saying is, and yet not only did God restore me, but he blessed me further. Kingdom still grew. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Man, does he know that to be true, right? Well, what makes this confession different than the other two? I didn't look at them before. I'll look at them now really quickly. So when Daniel interprets a dream for him in chapter 2, in the very beginning of their relationship, the king answers Daniel in verse 47, Daniel chapter 2, verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God, Daniel, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets. Since you could reveal this secret, interpret the dream. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him great gifts. Well, what's different there? I mean, that sounds like, isn't that a profession of faith? No, that's recognizing that of all the gods, plural, that are out there, Daniel's God is the boss. And he rewarded Daniel for it, by buying favor with Daniel's God. It's not Nebuchadnezzar's God. And then, shortly after that, in chapter 3, you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he throws into the fiery furnace. Uh, that God walks among the fire with him and delivers them out of the fire unharmed. And then Nebuchadnezzar responds in verse 28 of chapter 3 and says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's words and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, language, which speaks anything amiss, Against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, their house made to ash heap, but because, look what he says, there is no God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So again, what's wrong with that? That sounds like faith, doesn't it? It's the same thing. He's glorifying their God. Any God except their God should not serve they serve their God. You see the language that's going on there? And again, he promotes and rewards them. But now, in chapter 4, it's different. It's I, Nebuchadnezzar. Look in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, in his own words, 
And Daniel has allowed his own words into his letter. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For he is right in what he does and his ways are just. Man, this is his testimony. I believe he came to faith right there. That's his testimony. I believe you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. I believe that. Nebuchadnezzar knows now that being human is a gift from the Creator. And and the purpose in it is to glorify Him as one who bears His image for His glory. Realizing all I have is His already. And I want the world to know that. And to see that. So what do we do? Well, what's your testimony? First of all, that's his. What's your testimony? You have one. If you're a believer, you should. The question is, does it center on Jesus or does it center on you? Oh, how bad you were. Oh, how awful you were for 20 minutes. And then three minute, you know, oh, well, this is how God's changed me. What does it center on? I'm not hating. I'm just asking. I mean, I've wrestled with this before. Even as a believer, we wrestle with pride too. And I'm asking, do you rule your kingdom? Or do you serve in your kingdom? And don't ask yourself that. Ask somebody else that. Did they believe? Ask somebody else. Do they see you as someone who rules your kingdom or serves in his kingdom? And again, a reminder, whether you think it or not, you never ruled your kingdom. You have never ruled your kingdom. Because God is sovereign. He rules all kingdoms. All of them. So what do you do? Well, how do you wrestle? How do, what do we do practically to deal with pride on this level? Well, if you're a believer for certain, practice thanking God daily. Well, do it anyway, but I'm saying if you're a believer, you should be. Practice God daily for, I'll give you some things to, to thank Him for daily that'll help you. Oxygen. <laughs> you take that for granted big time, but all He's gotta do is unplug that and you're done, we're all done. It doesn't matter what you have. So thank him for oxygen every day. Thank him for the sunshine. Thank him for the rain. If it doesn't rain, we don't have food. No crops, no nothing for animals to eat. We have nothing. We starve to death and die. Thank him for those things, man. Those are things that remind you that he is absolutely sovereign at all points in time, no matter what you have or don't have. Thank him for the ozone. Thank him for the tilt of the earth to be imprecise. Thank you. Thank him for the distance of the earth from the sun, uh, the speed and rotation of, of its rotation. All those things. Thank him for his precision in creating. Thank him that no direct asteroids have hit and wiped out the planet or sunbursts or whatever it is. Thank him for those things. Then move to your things that are personal. Thank him for your TV. If you got a 70-inch TV, wow, but thank him for that. You know what I'm saying? Thank him for your job. Thank him for your family all all the time, not once, all the time. Thank him for your couch. Thank him for your yard. Thank him for your dishwasher. Thank him for your washing machine, whatever it is. Thank him for sleep. Thank him for your mobility if you're able to get around. Not everybody is. Thank him for that. Thank him for exercise if you're able to do that. Not everybody is. Thank him for sight, smell, taste. Hearing, feeling. Thank, if you've got all of them, thank him for all of them. If you don't, thank him for the ones you got. The more you practice this, the more you strip yourself of pride in your possessions and your achievements. It just naturally happens. And consider then ways you can be a visual image bearer. Ways that you can let your humanity find its purpose in reflecting him to others for his glory. Now, if you're not a believer... And you struggle with pride. Maybe it's for different reasons. Maybe it's because you just got to have people's approval. Maybe you just feel like, you know, 
You're never good enough and you, you need to be recognized. Let me tell you something. Jesus created you. I'm telling you right now, Jesus created you. So guess what? That alone gives you infinite value regardless of what anybody says. Jesus loves you. That means it doesn't matter what anybody says. Jesus died for you. That means you have nothing to fear in gaining his approval if you surrender your life to him. Jesus rose from the dead. That means, listen to me, that means that no power or disapproval of man can ever take you out of his hands even in death. Recognizing this, these things is something Jesus called being born again and it's accessed by faith. Can you admit who you are? Do you know that you're somebody who wrestles with pride or any number of sins? Can you say, honestly, I'm a sinner, Lord, and I don't want to be anymore. I want to repent. I want freedom from sin. I hate the guilt and the weight of it. I want it gone. Can you say that? Can you acknowledge that that's who you are and say, I'm ready to turn from it? Can you believe? So can you know who you are and can you believe in who he is? A loving God who is alive and who has died for your sins and risen from the grave, who is the creator of all things and made possible for you as his creation out of love to be with him. Can you recognize that's who he is? And can you trust in that accomplishment that that was good enough? That though you'll never be good enough on your own, what Christ did on that cross, dying for your sin and defeating death by rising from the grave, that that's enough. Can you do that? If you can, tell him. And then tell us. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we worship you, and we praise you. God, help us to be faithful to you, to your word, and help us be grateful for the many things that you've given us and just rule pride out of our lives, Lord. We ask these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.